You know, Joseph is an interesting guy, and he breaks down in front of his brothers. After they sold him into slavery, he got into Egypt, and he became second in command of all of Egypt. This is an interesting passage. We're going to read it today in Genesis 45, about three minutes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Embry. I'm James. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible in one year. This is exciting. Corey and Ryan are here to help us, Corey. I'm going to be looking at a brother of Joseph that has quite the character arc in Genesis. Ryan? Today, I'm joined by Christian astronomer Spike Pissaris, and our topic today is the Big Bang Theory and whether it was God's method of creation. All right, very good. I like Spike. He's an awesome guy. Janice? He said, it is enough. All right. So there you go. It's all coming up. They're coming up in 15 minutes. She's coming up in 17 minutes. And we're going to start to read the Bible in just a minute here. So let's open up our Bible guides and look at Genesis 45. Genesis 45, 1 through 11. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me! So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please, come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and Lord over all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 11. You know, this is interesting. Over the weekend, we, we studied and saw some things that were fascinating. Um, with Joseph and what's going on with him. It seems like, well, that seems unfair, but God was training and God was helping him. And today we're going to learn some very interesting things from Genesis chapter 45. I think it's fascinating. You know, when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, they clearly thought that he was as good as dead. 
So did Joseph, I'm sure. God was using all of this to shape Joseph. The Lord took him down a path of patience, endurance, discovering and revealing. And God also following God's instructions was important. That's what he was teaching him. Now, this was the true context of the dreams that Joseph had as a teenager. Not glory and honor, but humility, heartache, and headache. The dreams were coming true, but in a different way than everyone had thought. And when we are told truth by God, we have to contemplate its meaning and ask God questions about it instead of broadcasting it to the general public without discretion. Before Joseph would see his brothers again, he would be sold into Egyptian slavery, to be wrongly imprisoned, to be released from prison, to be respected by Pharaoh, to be married and welcome two sons. When Joseph finally did see them again, his brothers, he was understandably shocked and overcome with emotion. He would not keep the secret of his identity for long. You see, this is the important part about Joseph's story, which is a great story. He couldn't understand. He thought God's brought me away from my former family and I'll just be who I am like Moses. God called Moses back. God calls Joseph back. It's interesting. Now, with that in mind, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. If you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us. We'll send you one. And uh, thank you for your donations. Also, may I say that you can go to BibleDiscoveryGuide.com, BibleDiscoveryGuide.com, or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the guide. It'll take you to a page where you can go and download it exactly as, as it's printed. Very, very important. Takes you through the Bible. This is the most important book of all right here. This book is the most published book in the world. I say that with all safety. You can check me on the internet, look me a hundred, it's the most published and the most sold book in the world. Some people in the persecuted church have tried to reprint it, but no. Anyway, very interesting. Okay, so let's pray because we're going into the time when Joseph tells his brothers who he is. They think he's just the leader of Egypt. But wait a minute, this gets interesting. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that you would show us your way and teach us your path. Help us today, Lord, to hear this and understand it in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen and amen. 45 is an interesting chapter. We're coming to the end. But 45 says this as we focus on it. It says, then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out for me! So no one stood with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the household of Pharaoh, they heard this. This is important. As we focus on the Bible... We need to understand that Joseph broke in front of his brothers. He couldn't handle it. He could not keep his secret any longer. Now listen carefully. When we realize what God has done for us, we often break into emotion. I want to tell you, a lot of people do. They have different emotions. I remember a gentleman telling me one time, I'm a crier. 
And every time he would talk about Jesus Christ changing his life, it didn't matter. He would just, it would go right down deep in him because he was so rescued. Very important. We need to understand that. And, you know, Joseph's sitting there in front of his brothers trying to be this leader in Egypt and his brothers are there. They don't know it's Joseph. And he's telling them, I am Joseph. That, that was an intense, this is a great scene in the Bible. Okay, so let's go back to the scripture. Here's what it says. Hurry, hurry, he says. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? Now listen, but his brothers could not answer him. For they were dismayed in his presence. Guess so. Verse 4. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. And then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. But for God sent me before you to preserve your life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here. This is the important part, but God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Joseph suddenly understood the context of his earlier dreams. You see, the Lord teaches us his way <laughs> and we need to listen to him. I, I want to tell you something. Uh, that's one of the big deals in the Holy Spirit. He teaches us the truth about what God's doing. We may see prophetically something, but we don't really understand it until God helps us to, and we live it. Very interesting. Well, we got to finish this because this is interesting. So he goes on, it says in verse nine, hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says their son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. What? You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me. You, your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. God always provides for those whom he has chosen. Joseph brought into view the dreams that he had when he was a youngster. They were not just dreams. Let me tell you something. God has a way of making everything right. Now, I don't I don't know how God does it, but if we align our wills and say, okay, Lord, enough of my way, let's come back to you. Help me every way to talk about you and to explain and to help me to hear and understand and help me to do the things you've called me to do. When that happens, there's a major change in our life. It's not a big, you know, 
lights flying down change, but it's a major change in understanding of the will of God in our life. May we have it today. Now, from a biblical perspective, why do you think God made humans and apes look similar? Well, the same thing, same reason I think that there are similarities right through all living things, and that is we see a continuum, if you like, which speaks to us of one creator. If we're entirely different to every living, other living thing on earth, we have entirely different chemistry, entirely different everything, then we might think there's different creators. Joseph's brothers has quite the character arc that is described in Genesis, and that brother is Judah. So a lot of us really focus in on Joseph, and I mean, that makes sense. He's the main character of this story. He's the one who rises to prominence in Egypt, right? But Judah becomes the leader of the family of Jacob, even though he's not the firstborn son. What's the deal there? Well, let's take a look. We're first introduced to Judah as the fourth son of Jacob and Leah. Up until Judah's birth, Leah had been hoping to earn Jacob's favor by the birth of their sons. But Judah's birth marks a shift for her, which her naming of Judah represents. His name means praise. For this time, Genesis tells us, she accepted that God had loved her by blessing her, regardless of what her husband thought. This time, she praised the Lord. The next time we see Judah in scripture, we realize that he too needs a change of character. In Genesis 37, it was Judah's idea to sell his younger brother Joseph into slavery. Now this did save Joseph's life, but Judah's motivation was dark. Selling Joseph kept the brothers from the guilt of murder, and they made money. Then we have the account of Judah and Tamar that serves to drive home Judah's poor character and lack of righteousness. Genesis 38 begins by telling us that Judah left his brothers to go and start a family. This is telling us that Judah would now be the father, the patriarch, responsible for the economic, social, and moral well-being of this branch of his family. A bit surprisingly, Judah marries a Canaanite woman. Maybe the family had been turned off of marrying their own clan by their father Jacob's bad experiences. Now, if we're to see Judah in a dubious moral light here with selling his own brother and marrying a Canaanite, the Bible clearly portrays his sons as wicked. He has three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. As the patriarch, Judah arranges Ur's marriage to a woman named Tamar, but we're told that Ur was so wicked that God put him to death. Judah then does what he should have to provide for Tamar. She was societally dependent on having a man in her life for survival. So Judah has his next son take Tamar into his household in Levite marriage to provide a male son that would take Ur's inheritance and secure provision and protection for Tamar. We know the story, though. This son was also evil, and God put him to death. Now, the depth of Judah's poor character is revealed. He makes a wrong judgment. He blames Tamar for the death of his sons. She's clearly the problem. She's evil. She's cursed by God, Judah thinks. My sons are good men, even though they're clearly not. Judah lies to Tamar and sends her away, a woman who's directly dependent on him for survival. A long time later, after his wife's death, Judah visits a city near Tamar. She veils herself like a prostitute and tricks Judah not only into sleeping with her, but in giving her his very items of authority, his seal, his cord, and staff. His signet seal was his authoritative signature. Whoever had it could do business in his name. 
The cord may refer to how the seal was carried, and the staff was likely carried by Judah to mark him as the patriarch of the family. Tamar, perhaps the most vulnerable member of Judah's household, now had his authority. Judah was willing to trade his authority for lust, and Tamar was forcing Judah to provide for her, which was his duty. When Tamar is found pregnant, Judah has no problem exercising his authority to condemn her to death. He wouldn't save her, but he has no problem killing her. Then Tamar's wisdom is revealed. She presents the seal, cord, and staff. By her deception, Tamar has saved Judah the guilt of her destitution. His foolishness in giving his authority away is publicly revealed, as is his failure to provide for Tamar. Judah has a character-changing moment. He declares, She is more righteous than I. The next time we see Judah is in Genesis 43, when he takes personal responsibility for the safety of Benjamin on the journey to Egypt. Judah leads the delegation of Jacob's sons back to Egypt, even though he is not the oldest. He acts as their spokesperson to Joseph and refuses to allow Benjamin to become a slave, offering himself as slave in Benjamin's place. Judah is now a man who takes his responsibilities seriously and acts righteously. Upon the entire family's return to Egypt, it's Judah that Jacob sends ahead of them. He's become the leader of the family. Now, rather than us believing he was always equal to the task, the Bible chose to record his character development, showing how God had taken a wicked leader and turned him into a righteous one. An important point for the man who founded the tribe that the future kings of the nation would come from. So believe it or not, that segment has another, there's there's a longer version of this segment. I'm gonna be popping it up on my YouTube channel soon. So take a look, take a look for that if you're if you're curious. Uh, my YouTube channel is just my name, Corey Babechko. That's fascinating, Corey. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Ryan, go ahead. All right. Well, as promised on Friday, Christian astronomer Spike Pissaris is back. And Spike has a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from the University of Massachusetts. And he's done graduate work in physics. And he was formerly an engineer in the United States military space program. So with that pedigree, I wanted to ask him about the Big Bang Theory and whether he believes that this was God's method of creation. Here's Spike. Now, you mentioned the Big Bang a couple of times mm -hmm. so far, and I want to talk about that for a minute because clearly without God, we couldn't have the universe. But some Christians are saying, why couldn't have God used the Big Bang as his method of creation? So what would you say to somebody like that? Well, God could have done it any way he wanted, mm -hmm. but what does he tell us that he did? Mm -hmm. um, the Big Bang assumes, I shouldn't say assume, the Big Bang includes a certain sequence of events of how everything got here. Um, first there was energy, then there was matter. Then after billions of years, the sun formed and then the earth around the sun and so on. Um, the Bible doesn't describe that as having happened. Uh, it says the earth was formed first and then the sun several days later. There's also an issue with what happened on earth subsequently. Christians who want to believe in the Big Bang are typically trying to hold on to what the scientific community at large tends to say, which is not only the Big Bang, but also millions of years of evolutionary processes and so on. If you look at the sequence of how life would have evolved over all that time, that doesn't match what the Bible says either. Because the millions of years way of thinking for life on Earth says life started in the oceans and then it came on the land as amphibians and then there's reptiles and all the rest of it. And the order of creation in Genesis doesn't match that. 
you know, the Lord could have done it any way he wanted, but the way he describes what he did doesn't match that sequence. And there's theological issues with this too. Um, evolution over time requires death in order for progress to be made. The less fit life has to die to make room for the better creature to, to thrive. Because there's a limited amount of resources available. You don't want the less fit stuff hanging around and eating all your food, right? If you're trying to evolve into something better. So evolution is based on death, sweeping away the old, killing the less fit so that the more fit will survive. Well, the Bible says death is an enemy. It was not part of God's creation. In Genesis 131, God looked at all he had made and behold, it was very good. If at that point there had already been millions of years of evolution, death, suffering, extinctions, natural disasters, disease, predation, animals tearing each other apart. Is that all very good in God's eyes? Is that the God that we believe in? Does that reflect the character, his character as we understand it? No. Hmm. Death was introduced into the creation as a result of Adam's sin. It wasn't part of God's plan in the beginning. And it'll be removed from creation when it's all redeemed. So death is built into history under the millions of years mindset. It's very much opposed to the biblical account of history. Hmm. And I, I would argue too, um, a lot of people want to accept the Big Bang model because they say we need the Big Bang because Genesis says the universe had a beginning and the Big Bang says the universe had a beginning. So yeah, this supports Genesis. Well, number one, it doesn't support Genesis like we just talked about. It's, it contradicts Genesis in a lot of ways. But number two, we don't need the Big Bang model anyway. We talked about this before. If, if the universe had been here forever, stars would have burned out. So the fact that stars exist today proves it's not eternal, which means it had a beginning. Mm -hmm. So if you want to prove the universe had a beginning, you don't need the Big Bang. Just walk outside and look up. <laughs> if you see stars at night or the sun during the day, then the universe hasn't been here forever, which means it had a beginning. All right. So if you want to hear more from Spike, then please check out his website at creationastronomy.com. He's got a three-part video set called What You're Not Being Told About Astronomy. You can buy that set directly from his website, and it's also available at creation.com. And remember, all of these interviews I've been showing you in January are available in full and uncut on this set called The World by Design 3. This resource is available both as a DVD collection or as a digital download. So you can call, write, or go online to get yours. Our website is BibleDiscoveryTV.com. You know, it's interesting because he really was good. And, and uh, I, I would recommend uh, people get this because he's just an excellent uh, person, excellent astronomer, mm -hmm, great guy. For sure. All right, Janice? Yes. I said off the top of the program, he said it is enough. Who said that? That was Jacob. You know, as we're taking a look at Genesis chapter 45, when Joseph finally reveals who he is to his brothers, that scene alone must have been incredible. So emotion-packed on every side. And yet, as we read through this chapter and we see that Joseph is telling his brothers to go back and get his father and bring everyone back to the land of Goshen, and we see his brothers leave, and this scene at the end, verses 27 and 28, um, is, is really outstanding because they come up 
And you can imagine this entourage coming and Jacob and, and all of the family that have been waiting for their husbands and their, their brothers to come home. All of a sudden they're seeing them come with all of these carts and all of this food and all of these items back from Egypt. But when they told him, these are the sons talking to their father, Jacob, Israel, But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Remember, such a huge part of Jacob's heart died, went dark when he thought that his son Joseph had been killed. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive, and I will go and see him before I die. You know, so much had happened in Joseph's life and also in the life of Jacob, Israel, his father. So much sorrow, so many trials, so much learning, and so much growing. But I think back, and if you'll remember just a few programs ago, just a few days ago in our reading, when young Joseph, as a probably around a 17-year-old, was having dreams, and instead of keeping them quiet, he was kind of bragging about it, just kind of letting it out in the air and telling his brothers. And the one right after the second dream that he told them were the sun and the moon and the stars, the 11 stars, they even bowed down to him. It says there that um, his brothers envied him. This is Genesis 37, verse 11. His brothers envied him, but it says that Israel kept the matter in mind. I wonder how many times that Jacob had thought of that after he realized or that he knew that Joseph was dead. And now here his whole world, Rod, had been turned around. God, his plans for our lives sometimes don't go the way we think. And sometimes we think that that our dreams have been crushed, that our hopes have been dashed. But hold on, because God is merciful and God is good and God has a plan and God has a purpose. So if you're feeling like that today, if you're feeling that all hope is lost, that your dreams are gone, just know, hold on, trust and put your hope in God, have faith in Him, He is caring for you. I want to remind you that Rumble is a social media platform, which is a great platform. And we are on Rumble. We have our programs here on Rumble. So I want you to go there. It's also, we have our 24 seven live streaming channel on Rumble. It is a great place. Go there and check us out. Now let's pray. Father, I want to be close to you. Help me to understand what you're saying and help me to do the things you've called me to do because Lord, we need to make ourselves right with you right now. 
in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said together, amen.